Section six of Edgewater People by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. Section six. The outside of the house. Bar Center almost always excited the amusement of strangers. Why Bar Center? They would inquire and follow up the query if they were facetious with another. The center of what? In reality, Bar Center, the little village where lived the Edgewaters, the Ellertons, the Densmores, and a few more very good old New England families, was hardly anything but a center, and almost regarded geographically the mere pinprick of a center of four villages. As a matter of fact, the apex of a triangle would have been a more accurate description. The village came first on the old turnpike. From the city, Bar by the Sea was on the right, three miles away. Leicester, which had formerly been West Bar, was three miles to the left. South Bar was three miles to the south. There was a popular saying that Bar Center was three miles from everywhere. All four villages had, of course, been originally one, the precinct of Bar. Leicester had been the first to revolt and establish a separate township and claim a different name. Leicester was the name of the one wealthy old family of the village, which had bestowed its soldiers' monument, its town hall, and its library, and had improved the cemetery and contributed half of the high school. Bar by the Sea came next, and that had serious and legitimate reasons for individuality, from being. A mere summer colony of tents and rude cottages, it had grown to be almost a city, frequented by wealthy city folk who had beautiful residences along the shore. Bar by the Sea was so large and important that it finally made an isosceles triangle of the original precinct of Bar. All summer long, it hummed with gay life, ending in the autumn with a carnival as a grand crescendo. Bar by the Sea was, however, not the center. It boasted no old family resident all the year round, as did Bar Center. South Bar was the least important of all. It was simply the petering out of the bars. It was a little farming hamlet which humbly sold butter, fresh eggs, and garden truck to Bar by the Sea for the delectation of the rich folk. Who dwelt in the hotels and boarding houses and stately residences on the ocean front? Bar by the Sea was an exclusive summer resort. Its few permanent inhabitants were proud of it, and none were prouder than old Captain Joe Dixon and his wife Martha. The Dixons lived in a tiny house beyond the fashionable limits. They were on the opposite side of the road from the sea. The house stood in a drift of sandy soil, pierced by coarse. Beach grass like green swords. Captain Joe, however, had reclaimed a little garden from the easily conquered waste, and his beans, his cucumbers, and his tomatoes were flourishing. In front of the house, Martha had two great tubs of hydrangeas, which she colored a ghastly blue with bluing water from her weekly wash. Captain Joe did not approve of the unnatural blue. Why didn't you leave the posies the way the Lord made 'em? He inquired, "They have them this way a lot of the grand places," replied Martha. "The big bugs color them. Ruther guess 
the big bugs ain't any bigger than the lord a'mighty returned captain joe i guess if he had thought them posies would look better blue he would have made em blue in the fust place captain joe having spoken his mind puffed his pipe amiably over the tops of the blue flowers he sat on his bit of a porch tipping back comfortably in his old chair martha did not prolong the discussion she was not much of a talker captain joe always claimed that a voyage with him around the world in a sailing vessel had cured her of talking too much in her youth poor marthy used to be a regular buzzsaw at the talk he would say but rockin round the world with such a gale that she couldn't hear her own tongue wag and being scared most to death cured her whether the great primeval noises of the world had in fact subdued the woman to silence rendering her incapable of much sounding of her own little note all through her life or not she was a very still woman she went silently about her household tasks when they were done there was much mending while her husband smoked over across the road the littered wave-marked beach sloped broadly to the sea there were several boats anchored one was captain joe's the martha dixon he had been out in it fishing that very morning had had a good catch and sold well to the customers who flocked on the beach when the fishing boats came in the rich people sent their servants with baskets for the fresh fish joe had sold his catch with the exception of one fine cod which martha was making into a savory chowder captain joe sniffed with pleasure the odor of frying onions which were to make the foundation of the good dish he gazed at the sea which now and then lapped into view with a foaming crest over the beach there was no passing as a rule the fine road for driving and motoring stopped several yards before joe's house was reached he was mildly surprised therefore when a runabout with a red cross on the front with a young man at the wheel and a pretty young girl by his side came skidding over the sand and stopped any fresh fish inquired the young man who was dr tom ellerton joe shook his head nowhere i can get any guess maybe you can get a cod at the third house for me he was late gettin in and didn't sell the hull but you'll capsize if you try to go there and that tom eyed the road billowing with sand sit here while i find out he told margie his sister she nodded after tom had gone plowing through the sand captain joe rose stiffly he was not a very old man but a broken leg had not been set properly and kept him from his life work of cruising the high seas he limped up to the car pooty hot day he remarked very replied margie wish i'd had the fish so'd all my catch except the cod marthy's cookin margie sniffed appreciatively a chowder she inquired joe nodded about the only way to cook a cod goin to have yourn cooked that way it isn't for us explained margie my brother is trying to find some really fresh fish for an old lady who is ill my brother is a doctor he has just been to see her she wanted fresh fish and he said he would try to find some their servants are all busy because they are closing the house they are going to sail for europe tomorrow what house inquired joe eagerly 
the very large house on the ocean side of the road about a half a mile back the one with all them yaller flowers in the front yard and a garden of em on the roof with vines hanging over margie nodded that sounds like it said she there are two square towers one on each side then the flowers and vines are on the balcony between and there is a roof garden too and there are quantities of beautiful flowers on the grounds it is a lovely place know the name of the folks that live there willard replied margie she eyed joe with surprise lord said he they going away so soon he paid no more attention to margie but limped into the house and the girl heard loud exclamations then she saw tom coming with a fine glistening fish in each hand i have one for us too he said as he got into the car they are fine fish tom put on power as he wished not only to deliver the fish to the willards fresh but to reach home with his own in good condition and it was a scorching day margie clung to her side of the car as they spun along after the fish had been left at the grand willard house and a beautiful young lady in a pale blue gown had thanked the young doctor charmingly and they were on a smooth road margie asked tom why he thought the lame man of whom he had inquired about the fish had been so interested in the willard family oh probably he is one of the old residents here i discovered some time ago that they feel a queer interest in the comings and goings of the summer folk said tom their lives are pretty narrow eight months of the year they have to be interested in something outside themselves i think lots of them have a feeling that they own a good deal that they only have liberty to look at i can see how a fisherman can feel that he owns the sea said margie maybe it is because so many of them are fishermen she looked reflective with her deep-set blue eyes tom cast a quick glance at her maybe he said tom was not imaginative when margie said things like that he always wondered if she were well he began to plan a prescription for her as they sped along he did not know how intensely margie had felt that she owned the sea just from looking at it when she had sat in the car waiting for him when he was making professional calls and that her reasoning was quite logical and not unnecessarily imaginative if she considered that she owned the sea which is the vast untaxed asset of the world how much more would the fisherman who got his daily bread from it meantime the fisherman with whom she had talked was in excited colloquy with his wife in the kitchen and living-room of the little house the room though comfortable and clean was poorly equipped with the exception of various articles that were at direct odds with all else there was a cooking-stove on which the chowder was steaming there was a kitchen table set for a meal with the commonest utensils save that in the center ready for the chowder was a bowl of old japanese pottery which would have adorned a palace martha did not think much of this bowl which joe had brought home from one of his voyages she considered the decorations ugly and used it to save a lovely one from the ten-cent store decorated with pink rosebuds martha could understand pink rosebuds but she could not fathom dragons and ugly grinning faces of oriental fantasy 
there was a lounge with a hideous cover two old chairs worn into hollows of comfort two kitchen chairs an old clock and a superb teakwood table martha did not care for that either the contortions of the carved wood gave her a vague uneasiness she kept it covered with an old fringed spread and used to set her bread to rise on it on the mantel besides the clock and three kerosene lamps was a beautiful old satsuma vase and a pressed glass one which martha loved the glass one was cracked and she told joe she did not see why the other vase could not have suffered instead joe agreed with her he did not care much for the treasures which he had brought from foreign ports except the shells lovely pink-lipped ones that were crowded on the shelf between the other things and completely filled more shelves which joe had made expressly to hold them the shelves were in three tiers and the shells were mounted on them catching the light from broken surfaces of rose and pearl and silver martha privately considered that the shells involved considerable work she washed them carefully and kept them free from dust but she also admired them in front of the outer door was a fine old prayer rug of dull exquisite tones martha kept it there for joe to wipe his feet on because it was so faded but she had a bright red one in the center of the room joe never stepped on that until his shoes were entirely clean he had made quite sure there was not a speck of dust to injure this brilliant rug before he entered to give martha the intelligence they are a-goin away from our house to-morrow said he martha standing over the chowder turned spoon in hand she waved the spoon as if it were a fan before the carnival said she martha was a small wide-eyed woman with sleek hair she was not pretty but had a certain effect of being exactly in place which gave the impression of prettiness to some people they're going to sail for europe said joe i suppose for his health said martha nobody could excel the air of perfect proprietorship with which she uttered the masculine pronoun the man indicated might have been her own father or her brother or her son i guess so said joe he has looked pooty bad lately when i've seen him i suppose they are going i suppose so because they are closing the house that young doctor from the center stopped out here just now and wanted to know where he could get fresh fish and i told him i guessed mac had some left and whilst he was gone his sister she was with him told me they were closing the house and old lady willard wanted fresh fish and they were out hunting for it because all the help was busy that means old lady willard's going and him and his wife and the three girls grace and marie and maud and the two little boys yes and they will take the lady's maids and his man maybe that pretty young lady that visits there so much will go too maybe and the lady that teaches the little boys will go oh lord yes they couldn't get on without her my there will be most enough to fill the ship about enough to sink my old one i sailed around when you was aboard said joe and laughed martha never laughed the seriousness of new england was in her very soul she was 
happy and good-natured but she saw nothing whatever to laugh at in all creation she never had land yes said she you know there wa'n't any room in that little cabin not more'n enough to hold you and your bible and sewing machine said captain joe he cast a glance at the old sewing machine as he spoke and laughed again it was perfectly useless because of that long-ago voyage and the fact always amused him martha considered it no laughing matter the sewing machine was dear to her even in its wrecked state she kept the bible on it and a little cup and saucer the chowder's done said she draw up joe joe drew up a chair to the table smells prime said he guess it's all right if your chowders ever want all right i'd think the sun was goin to rise in the west next mornin said joe martha ladled the chowder into the beautiful bowl then into heavy chipped plates the two ate with relish to-morrow's saturday said joe that means we can go to our house come sunday martha nodded her good mouth widened in the semblance of a smile her steady eyes gleamed with happy intelligence at her husband it will seem nice said she land i've been thinking we might have to wait till way into october the way we did last year and now it's only the first of august i'm feeling just as set up as you be about it said joe that night all the family from the great house where tom ellerton had called went by train to boston they were to stay in the city overnight to be ready for the steamer not one of the numerous company even noticed captain joe dixon and his wife martha who were at the station watching them closely hearing everything that was said noting all details the baggage the host of servants all the servants were to be out of the house next day the dixons heard her tell another lady who inquired only a caretaker the same old colored man we always employ stated mrs richard willard tall elegant a bit weary of manner the servants will finish closing the house to-morrow then some of them have vacations and the rest will be in our boston house we take only our maids and mr willard's man up to-night we shall not go to the city house at all ourselves it will be much more sensible to stay at the hotel of course said the lady then she said something about an unexpected start and so early in the season and mrs willard replied that to her nothing was ever unexpected that had ceased with her youth and mr willard was not quite well and there were seasons all over creation she said that with a pleasant smile weary however martha eyed her keenly when she and joe after the train with all the willards on board had pulled out were walking home she said that she didn't look none too strong and she guessed it was a good thing she was going martha said that as if mrs richard willard who had never heard of her was her dearly beloved friend or relative joe nodded solemnly she did look sort of peaked he agreed as for him he didn't look no worse than usual to me but i guess it's just as well for him they're off let alone us the remark seemed enigmatic but martha understood they walked home from the station they passed the willard house standing aloof from the highway like a grand colonial lady the awnings are down said martha and they begun to board up the winders 
joe nodded it is unlooked for as far as we are concerned said martha with a happy widening of her lips day arter tomorrow only think of it said captain joe goin out fishin tomorrow reckon not got on considerable today and i want to get my hair cut tomorrow i'm goin to trim my bunnet over and fix my best dress a little too and i guess your best suit needs brushing there's a spot on the coat i'll get it off land i do hope sunday is pleasant goin to be it's a dry moon declared joe however sunday although fair was one of those fervid days of summer which threatened storm it's goin to shower declared martha she was clad in her best black silk hot and tightly fitted trimmed with cascades of glittering jet a jet agrit on her bonnet caught the light she had fastened a vivid rose on one side of the bonnet to do honor to the occasion crowning glory she wore her white gloves her one pair which was the treasure of her wardrobe better take the umbrella i guess said joe guess you'd better joe held his head stiffly because of his linen collar he wore a blue suit much too large for him but it was spotless he took the umbrella from behind the door it was distinctly not worthy of the occasion although it was entirely serviceable still it was large and greenish-black and bulged determinedly from its mooring of rubber at the top martha as they walked along looked uncomfortably at the umbrella can't you roll the umbrella up tight the way i see em she inquired joe stopped unfastened the rubber strap and essayed to roll it it was in vain the umbrella is too thick he said no use marthy it's a good umbrella if it showers it will keep it off but i can't make it look slim well don't show it any more than you can help admonished martha joe henceforth carried the umbrella between himself and martha it continually collided with their legs but martha's black silk skirt flopped over its green voluminousness and it was comparatively unseen i declare it does seem like showerin said joe you said it was a dry moon ef there's anything in nature to be depended on least of anything else it's a dry moon said joe with an air of completely absolving himself from all responsibility in the matter of the moon of course in such hot weather nobody can tell when a thunder tempest is gonna come up said martha she was extremely uncomfortable in her tight black raiment drops of perspiration stood on her forehead if we were goin anywhere else i'd take off my gloves said she well marthy long as it's the first time this year reckon you'd better stand it if you can returned joe my collar is about chokin me but it's the first time this year we're goin there you know marthy that's just the way i feel agreed martha the sun beat upon their heads ef the umbrella was a little better lookin i'd hoist her said joe now joe you know you can't i know it marthy i can't they were now in the midst of a gay heterogeneous sunday throng the church bells were ringing a set of chimes outpealed the rest elegantly arrayed people the ladies holding brilliant parasols at all angles above their heads crowned with plumes and flowers 
the gentlemen in miraculously creased trousers many of them moving with struts swinging sticks met and went their way the road was filled with a never-ending procession of motor-cars carriages horses and riders bar by the sea was displaying her charms like a beauty at a ball many were bound for church more for pleasure there were country people dressed in cheap emulation of the wealthy carrying baskets with luncheon who had come to bar by the sea to spend sunday and have an outing they were silent foolishly observant and awed by the splendors around them joe dixon and his wife martha moved as the best of them there was no subserviency in them they had imbibed the wide freedom and lordliness of the sea and at any time moved among equals but to-day their errand made them move as lords by what childlike sophistry it had come to pass none could tell but joe dixon poor ex-captain of a sailing vessel and his wife martha were in their own conviction on their way to re-establishment in the best mansion on that coast inhabited by the wealthy of the country when they reached the willard house joe and martha ducked under the iron chain across the carriage drive and proceeded along the glittering smoothness bordered by brilliant flowers having no realization of the true state of affairs i declare it does seem good to get back said joe it certainly does said martha and so much earlier than we'd look forward to i calculated they might stay till late in october the way they did last year said joe joyously just see that red geranium bed marthy them ain't geraniums them is begonias said martha haughtily it always seems to me as if all flowers was geraniums said joe he laughed martha did not smile they ain't said she they passed around to the back of the grand house the wide veranda was cleared except for two weather-beaten old chairs the windows except one on the second floor were boarded over the house looked as if asleep with closed eyes before that magnificent ocean a vast brilliance as of gem-like facets reflecting all the glory of the whole earth and the heavens above the earth the tide was coming in now and then a wave broke with a rainbow toss quite over the sea-wall of the beach the coast in places and this was one of them was treacherous captain joe and his martha sat down in the rude chairs martha sighed a sigh of utter rapture land it is certainly nice to be here again said she joe however scowled at the sea-wall they had ought to have seen to that wall afore they went off he said land it's safe ain't it i dunno nobody ever knows nothin when the sea's concerned ef they had asked me i'd a said have a lot of men on the job and make sure there ain't no shaky places in that air wall and whilst you're about it build it up about six foot higher it wouldn't cut off your view none the hull of it is the sea never quits the job everything on earth quits the job one way or t'other but that sea is right on and she's going to be right on it and being right on the job and never quittin means something doin and something bein done and nobody knows just what i guess it's all right said martha it ain't likely that they would have gone off and left this house unless it was and money ain't no object 
Sometimes folks with money gets the wrong end of the bargain, said Joe. Money don't mean nothing to the sea. It swallowed more'n the whole earth holds, and it's ready to swallow to the day of judgment. That wall had ought to be looked arter. There was a sound of the one unboarded window being opened, and it immediately framed an aged colored face with a fringe of gray beard like wool. The owner of the face could not be seen, and because of the veranda roof, he could not see, but his ears being quick to note sounds above the rush of the waters, he heard Joe and Martha talking on the veranda. Presently he came up the veranda steps. He was the caretaker, and his door of entrance and exit was in the basement, under the veranda. He was a tall old colored man with an important mien. When his head appeared above the veranda floor, Joe and Martha rose. Good day, Sam, they said, almost in concert. Sam bowed with dignity. I allowed it was you, he said, then sat down on a fixed stone bench near the chairs. So they've gone, said Joe, as he and Martha resumed their seats. Yes, sir. Mr. Richard is kind of penlin, and the doctor allowed he'd better get away. They went day before yesterday, and all the help last night. Joe nodded. Martha nodded. They all sat still, watching the waves dash at the sea wall and break over it. They had ought to have looked at that wall, said Joe presently. The colored man laughed with the optimism of his race. That wall has held more'n twenty year, ever since the house was built, said he. Wall all right. Dunno. Said Joe. Martha was not as optimistic as the colored man, but she was entirely happy. Seems sort of nice to be settin' here again, Sam, said she. Yes'm, said Sam. We've got a baked fish for dinner and some fresh beans, said Martha. We thought you'd come and have dinner with us, the way you always do the first day. I allowed you'd ask me. Thank you, marm, said Sam, with his wonderful dignity. Seems nice to be settin' here again. Repeated Martha, like a bird with one note. Yes'm. Sam's own face wore a pleased expression. He too felt the charm of possession. All three—the man and wife and the colored retainer—realized divine property rights. The outside of that grand house was as much theirs as it was any soul's on the face of the earth. They owned that and the ocean. Only Joe's face was now and then disturbed. When a wave crested in foam came over the sea wall, he knew the sea well enough to love and fear it while he owned it. The three sat there all the morning. Then they all went to the little Dixon house. The thunder was rumbling in the northwest. They walked rapidly. Joe spread the umbrella, but no rain came. There was a sharp flash of lightning and a prodigious report. All three turned about and looked in the direction of the Willard house. Struck somewheres, but it didn't strike thar," said Joe. When they reached home, Martha immediately changed her dress and set about preparing dinner. The two men sat on Joe's upturned boat, on the sloping beach opposite, and smoked and watched the storm. It did not rain for a long time, although the thunder and lightning were terrific. The colored man cringed at the detonations and flashes, but Joe was obdurate. He had sailed stormy seas too much to be anything but a cool critic of summer showers. 
however after each unusual flash and report the two stared in the direction of the willard house seems as if i ought to have stayed there remarked sam trembling after one great crash what could you have done that didn't strike no house struck out at sea i'm keeping an ear out for the fire alarm said joe have you got it ready inquired sam mysteriously joe nodded he flushed slightly sam was under orders to keep secret the fact that the poor old sailorman had the preceding year purchased a fire extinguisher with a view to personally protecting the house you can run faster than i can and you know how to use it said joe then another storm came up swiftly martha came to the door it's another cried she joe rose get it for me marthy said he martha brought the fire extinguisher guess you and me had better be on the bridge if another's comin said joe grimly to sam the two disappeared down the road in a gray drive of rain martha screamed to joe to take the umbrella his best suit would get wet but he did not hear her sam went on a run and joe hobbled after they stood on the willard veranda and kept watch both men were drenched the waves broke over the sea wall and the salt wind drove the rain in the faces of the men at last it was over and they went back to the dixon house the odor of fish and beans greeted them martha had continued her dinner preparations she was not in the least afraid of storms she too only thought of danger to the grand house but she had great faith in her husband and the fire extinguisher whose unknown virtues loomed gigantic to her feminine mind she made joe change his best suit which she hung carefully to dry on the clothesline and she gave sam a ragged old suit and hung up his drenched attire also you couldn't do much about taking care of things if you got the rheumatiz said she they ate their dinner in comfort for the thunderstorm had conquered the heat afterward while martha cleared away the men sat on the porch and went to sleep martha herself slept on the old lounge she dreamt that she was on the veranda of the willard house and she awoke to no disillusion next day and all the following days for nearly a whole year she and joe could be there if they chose they were in possession for so long that dispossession seemed unreality that was the happiest summer joe and martha had ever known in bar by the sea there were long afternoons when joe had been out and sold his catch there were wonderful moonlit nights when they lived on the outside of the beautiful house and inherited the earth the fall was late that year long into october and even during warm days in november they could assemble on the veranda and enjoy their wealth there came a storm in october however which increased joe's fears concerning the stanchness of the sea-wall he conferred with sam sam was hard to move from his position that the past proved the future but finally his grudging assistance was obtained the two worked hard they did what they could but even then joe would look at the wall and shake his head she ought to be six foot higher he told martha if sam could have written he would have pleaded with him to write the willards abroad urging that they order the raising of the wall but sam could not write joe went to a real estate agent and talked 
but the man laughed at him. Don't butt in, Joe, he advised. Nobody is going to thank you. I think the wall is all right. It ain't, declared Joe. Joe was right. In December there came the storm and the high tide. Joe was up at two o'clock in the morning, awakened by the wild cry of the sea, that wildest of all creation, which now and then runs amuck and leaps barriers and makes men dream of prehistoric conditions. He hastened along the road with a terrible menace in his ears, dragging a great length of rope. Martha stayed behind on her knees, praying. Nobody ever knew quite what happened, that is, all the details. They did know that in some miraculous fashion the sea wall of the Willard house had been strengthened by frantic labor of poor men who owned not a stick as valuable as the poorest beam in the house, and that they were urged on by Captain Joe Dixon with his lame leg and his heart of a lover and a hero. They knew that strange things had been piled against that wall, all the weighty articles from the basement of the Willard house, wood, boats, sandbags, stones, everything which had power to offer an ounce of resistance. They knew that the wall stood, and the house was saved, and old Sam was blubbering over old Captain Joe Dixon, lying spent almost to death on the veranda where he had been carried. Tell Martha our house is safe, stammered old Captain Joe. Then he added something which was vaguely made out to be a note of triumph. The sea didn't get me. When they took him home to Martha, she was very calm. All her life, since she had married Joe, she had had in her heart the resolution which should be in the hearts of the wives of all poor sailormen and fishermen who defied the splendid, eternal danger of the sea to gain their sustenance. It was Dr. Tom Ellerton, spinning over from Bar Center at the risk of his neck and his car, who saved Captain Joe, although the old man was saved only to spend the rest of his life in bed or wheelchair, and never could sail the seas again. It was Dr. Tom Ellerton who told the Willards, and it was they who sent the wheelchair and gave Joe a pension for saving their house. Mrs. Richard Willard, Richard, had died during their stay abroad, came out on purpose to see Joe. She was sad and weary and elegant in her deep black. She told Joe and Martha what was to be done, and they thanked her and gave her daughter some of their choicest shells. They were quite dignified and grateful about her bounty. On the train going home, Mrs. Willard told her daughter that they were evidently superior people. They belonged to the few who can take with an air of giving and not offend, said Mrs. Willard. Neither of them dreamed of the true state of the case, that subtly and happily the old man and his wife possessed what they called their own home, in a fuller sense than they ever could. More than the announcement of the comfortable annuity had meant Mrs. Willard's statement that they would not open the house at all next summer, they would visit with relatives in the Berkshires, then go abroad. Joe and Martha looked at each other, and their eyes said, We can go to our house as soon as you can wheel me over there. We can stay there as much as we like, all one year. Mrs. Willard saw the look, and did not understand. How could she? It was inconceivable that these two people should own the outside of her home to such an extent that their tenure became 
well-nigh immortal. End of section 6